90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science. Hey, Shannon, how are you? Doing pretty good. How about yourself? Uh, doing well also. We've been kind of springy over here finally we had to do our first lawn mowing even though it's not green we had to <laughs> had to do it to get all the thatch vacuumed up and i got nine trash bags of it uh, uh, that sounds wonderful not really at all um, <laughs> we're starting to green up and i will say my chickens are very excited to get back out into green grass it's actually super hilarious so they have like two favorite grass spots and every time I let them out, they all run to it, and then they fight over the little grass seed. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a riot. Um, I just didn't, I didn't understand how much chickens were truly dinosaurs, and it's just the best. <laughs> they are very strange little dinosaurs. Yeah, exactly. That's all you can say about it. And it's like now that the crickets are starting to come back and everything, they will kill each other. To get these little crickets and spiders <laughs> in the grass. Um, so, yeah, clearly I've been doing a lot of that. <laughs> nice. Uh-huh. Yeah. The weather has been super wet and ridiculously windy. So that's been fun, too. Uh, Sylvester Stallone is in Tulsa filming some movie. I don't know if you've heard about this. And I have not. apparently he's been complaining, like, incessantly that it's too windy here <laughs> you know he gets paid enough i don't care i know and i'm like it's in the song about oklahoma why is this surprising <laughs> whatever have you seen any memes about this place like <laughs> right i feel like that should have been evident but whatever so that's um that's this week <laughs> yeah yeah no we've just been crazy trying to get some projects cranked out and like always mm -hmm. and get ready for the oncoming <laughs> rush of i'm out of school and want something made man i had my first conversation last night about the um oh man i can't wait till may i was just like nope that's literally my busiest time i don't want to hear this from people so it sounds it's, like prison beginning. sentences most of the time because people are like well what are you going to do when you get out i know <laughs> exactly and i'm like i'm not out till two months after the rest of you <laughs> yeah you didn't get the good behavior uh, sure didn't yep not even a little bit i have not been paroled <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah and i'm also like I'm doing oral exams at field camp again. So not only am I not paroled, I feel like an extra five years just got added to my term. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's brutal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 35 oral exams in two days. Brutal. Oh <laughs> Don't worry. I'm sure I'll complain about it. I'm sure we'll hear all about them. <laughs> but in an effort, I've been... Doing a lot of magnetometer work because, as we mentioned last week, it's broken. But I'm being a, a big girl researcher and trying to fix stuff myself. But in that same vein, when my student and I went out to the field, a lot of what we saw were sedimentary rocks that we don't talk a lot about of. And shockingly, we haven't talked about them on here. So I thought that maybe that's what we could do today. 
More sedimentary rocks. How many types of these things are there? Listen, John. <laughs> At least 12 more shows worth. And now... Oh, no. I, yeah. Now I'm going to break them down even more. We're going to have a year of sedimentary rock shows. <laughs> Can you imagine if one of us did igneous rocks, how much more we'd have to talk about? I mean, dark rockite. Ah. <laughs> I said if one of us actually worked on them. <laughs> it's true. Uh, there's yeah. a lot of very interesting igneous processes that both of us just kind of nod along with at conferences. No, nothing about, nothing about at all. You want me to do a creep? That's the thing. Yeah. Not like the sedimentary creep of soils going down a slope, but <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe we should get some of those people on. <laughs> talk about those it's hard true. rocks <laughs> look i'm going to talk about conglomerates they're super cool conglomerates exactly what they sound like a bunch of things mashed together okay what's the fun paper <laughs> these will be fast shows then <laughs> shockingly conglomerates are very different between there's a lot of um conglomerate classification i don't know if that's shocking it's probably not. <laughs> it's it's what we do. We we take exactly. what seems like a relatively homogenous group <laughs> of rocks <laughs> and split <laughs> them up. <laughs> so many times. <laughs> so for a long time, I didn't even know like you you would classify conglomerates as anything besides just a conglomerate, right? But no, there's there's lots of way to classify conglomerates. <laughs> <laughs> and just like we do with other sedimentary rocks, we can start by talking about what holds it together. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. Um, before that, so conglomerate and brushes sort of get lumped together. <laughs> but there's kind of a difference about conglomerates versus brescia. And that's kind of like the pointiness of the clasts. But I will say, I feel like people use the word conglomerate way more than Brescia. Unless you're talking about faults. Right. In which Fault zone no Brescia is a, a phrase. Yeah, so the Breccias are higher energy. Mm, I don't even know if I can say that. No, I don't think you can. Yeah, I don't think I can. They are, like I said, they're more angular, they're sudden, they're... Some conglomerates can be sudden, too. I think the only difference is that they're pointy. <laughs> Interesting. I've never actually really tried to define the difference. Because well, I mean, well, fault zone breccia, sure, it's not a conglomerate. It is a fuzzy line, though. And it, the yeah. distinction really it just is how, how jagged are the clasts. Right, exactly. And so what makes, I mean, a sandstone is made up of clasts, too. So what's the difference? And the difference is the size of the class, right? Um, conglomerates and brushes both are gravel sized and above. Because, yeah, so if you get out your yeah. hail ruler, anything above I, about a quarter. I was, I was just going to say. <laughs> uh huh, yeah. Because, yeah, we could go into the fee scale too, but I think we've already it's talked a, about for that. For meteorologists, so. when you go to severe class, that's <laughs> oh. when. That's when it becomes a conglomerate. Oh, man. <laughs> it's a class will break your 
T-tops of the Camaro that you chased in once. <laughs> right. Speaking from experience. <laughs> yeah. So so that's really the difference between conglomerates and brushes. So you can say a lot about the processes based on the fact that brushes are pretty pointy and conglomerates are mostly made up of rounded to sub-rounded clasts. Um, but really, that's that's the distinction. They're sharp. Um, so can I real quickly comment on how I love in geology we do this <laughs> because it makes it sound sophisticated. We put the word sub in front of things. <laughs> they're not rounded. They're below. They're sub-rounded instead of, oh, they're <laughs> moderately rounded. No, they're sub-rounded. The one that always got me the most was when people described beds as sub-parallel. <laughs> they're almost <laughs> parallel. So they call them sub-parallel. That's the one that always killed me. Oh, man, that's great. But, I mean, how are you going to... What, what do you want on that? You want a quantification? It's not exact science, Sean. <laughs> I, I, I know. It just feels like when you throw sub in front of something, you have to kind of do the pinky lift. Mm-hmm. Well, that's true. That's absolutely true. But it would be boring to say, these rocks are rounded or these clasps are angular. You got to have something else. What are you going to do? These rocks are moderately rounded. <laughs> like that's a lot better. <laughs> Oh, man. Um, no, it's absolutely true. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so you've got this uh, rounded, sub-rounded, not supra-angular <laughs> class, D- and that makes up a conglomerate. Right. Don't worry. We'll get into intra and inter, too. <laughs> um, so when I was looking this stuff up, people also call these rudites, but I haven't heard that. I think that's a much older term conglomerates okay so i heard that in a conference talk once and meant to look it up and never Mm, did (laughs) right exactly so just say conglomerates right like i don't uh, rudite reminds me of a carbonate rock because rudists are this organism that can make up carbonate rocks so that always confused me as well and it turns out rudite just means yeah conglomerate essentially it's That's trying cool. to be. I learned something new. So it's trying to be even more snobby since it's the Latin derived term, <laughs> right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So these gravels, two to four millimeters, if you want it in those terms, are what make these things up. But you're exactly right, and what you said earlier is like how they're held together is most of the classification, along with a little mix of what they are, right? Um, is there a triangle involved? Uh, there's always a triangle. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> um, but actually, I'm not going to talk about a triangle. Well, maybe a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Did you mean a ternary diagram? Is that what you... <laughs> <laughs> Did you do the pinky lift? Yeah. I'm just going to get snottier and snottier the whole time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... <laughs> I think the cool thing about sedimentary rocks, despite you being mean to them, is that <laughs> I I am certainly like a process sedimentologist. Like I am really interested in the process that is the unspoken in between the lines, the vertices of the triangle, right? Like what changes in the process to make these different classifications and what you just said about the clasts is a really big one. Are the clasts in your conglomerate touching 
or are they not touching? Are they held apart by something else? That's a really like, that's sort of the first textural thing that you notice about a conglomerate. And it can say a lot about the process that um, was responsible for depositing it in the first place. Yeah. So is this a box of vanilla wafers or is it vanilla wafers in pudding? <laughs> yes. See, exactly. How'd that pudding get there? Yes. Where did those where did those vanilla wafers come from? <laughs> and I mean, you know, it's class supported or matrix supported. That's actually one of the easier things to to inherently understand. It makes sense. That word right there, class supported, matrix supported. I can envision that, right? Well, and the pictures that you see are always so in member. Yes. It's always like somebody dumped a pile of gravel and it's held together with a little bit of glue. <laughs> or there's this giant sedimentary rock that is very fine-grained and then has fist-sized clasps in it. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's exactly Nobody right. shows the pictures of the, <laughs> the mm-hmm. in-between. Right, exactly. And a lot of these rocks, it just depends on where you take the picture of it, right? So parts of it could be class-supported and parts could be matrix-supported. But this is the deal with these matrix-supported ones. So where the class are far apart, and they're generally separated by very fine, like, silt or mud. Um, I guess it could be sand. I feel like these class are always (laughs) sub-angular to angular. Oof. Uh, Would you say uh, that they're they're a breccia then? <laughs> you know, but they're not. But man, I don't know. This is this is where the breccia conglomerate thing. It's not an exact science. Everything exists on the continuum. It's all rudite. <laughs> all rudite. There you go. We'll just go back to that. Um, so these, when we talk about class supported conglomerates, it's even worse. And this one, I'm a little. I don't understand this very well. (laughs) When you talk about how class supported is it, it basically gets even further broken down into what you just said, like how much glue is there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if, if it's a pile of gravel that's barely stuck together and you can pour water through it, it's open (laughs) framework. (laughs) If it's a solid piece of rock with just some big chunks, it's closed. I mean, that's, that's an exaggeration. Obviously, the definition is something about intergranular pore space ratios, <laughs> void ratios. You should love that, though. <laughs> but so you can have some pretty old conglomerates that are still open framework. Um, when I think of conglomerates, a lot of what we just saw in the field a couple of days ago is within like the last five million years. Okay, so to me, that's ridiculously young. I'm not a quaternary geologist. So, (laughs) like, five million years is like me dumping sand outside right now and calling it a rock, in my mind. Because a lot of what I used to work on was in the Proterozoic. So, you know, really old stuff. Yeah. But, I mean, you can get these of any age, although I feel like open framework stuff is fairly young-ish versus these well-cemented pieces. Well, it could be, or it could be that it was well-cemented and went to somewhere with some hydrothermal fluids and had a lot of that cement dissolved out. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So you better know a lot about your geology 
to be able to determine the difference between that. Was it deposited this way or was it diagenetic alteration, right? Alteration after the fact that created that open framework. Obviously, open framework conglomerates are fantastic reservoirs for water, oil, gas. I mean, that's primo stuff right there. Yeah, exactly. You don't have to prop it open or anything. Nope. Exactly. Just drill into it and all comes gushing out. And a lot of the big plays drilling engineers, please don't please don't email <laughs> about that statement. <laughs> That's what happens. What do you mean? <laughs> it's not more complicated than that. <laughs> also, I can't say I, I it about I can't remember something about mud weight and <laughs> I can't say it without borehole pressure. <laughs> blah blah blah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you blah, do blah, just... blah, the well doesn't blow out if you do it right, but it just comes out. <laughs> exactly. You just have buckets on top collecting it, right? <laughs> but for real, some of those... Um, so how do you get a conglomerate? You weather a rock and you don't weather it down super far but you weather enough that it gets sub-rounded so a lot of conglomerates are formed as you're shedding rocks off of mountain ranges not right next to them but pretty close and so in the texas panhandle oklahoma panhandle all that area we have these massive piles of conglomerates that are from the ancestral rockies and so a lot of the oil and gas plays are in these huge conglomerates and that stuff did happen like a long time ago where they would just poke holes in. Oil flowing out the top of the derrick is not a good thing, even though that's like the iconic picture, <laughs> right, of oil exploration. Yeah. You think those people are dancing for joy. They're nope. really very worried about an explosion and the yeah. pending blowout. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like running for their lives because when you're drilling that, not only does the oil come out, but all that drill stem comes out too, which are these massive pipes 30 feet long. Yes. So a lot and of that happened all that in gas those. that gets ignited. Yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. bad too. <laughs> so we jest, but not really. Um, but these conglomerates are responsible for a lot of those, um, a lot of those early, not early plays, but a lot of those early blowouts in wells and the panhandles around here. So yeah. yeah. Open framework is the way to go. <laughs> but I think that these matrix-supported conglomerates are sometimes the more exciting ones. It's true. I, I like them just because instead of looking like a pile of rocks, they actually look like something interesting happened here. Like, <laughs> how, how do I have all of this fine-grained stuff punctuated by giant clasts? Yeah. Like those are two vastly different energy regimes. All the fine grain should have got swept away while whatever brought the big stuff there. And the big stuff never should have got there if just fine grain. Like, how did this happen? Mm-hmm. How is it getting held up? That's the, yeah, that's the coolest part. So the term for this, a matrix-supported conglomerate, where you just have these big random chunks in it, is a diamictite. Another very fancy word. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, th mixed through is the Greek origins of that word. <laughs> yeah, so, so and it, it is very mixed in size. Mm -hmm. It's like you took a bowl of mud and stirred up a bunch of big rocks into it. Mm -hmm. And so, just like you said, John, it's hard 
to how do you how are you supporting those big class like shouldn't they be gravitationally like falling to the bottom of whatever system is moving this and how do you get that wide range of grain sizes in any system because also like you said you should sort of like winnow out the fines that's a thing that happens a lot right winnowing of the fines right. um and just leaving behind the big boulders but glaciers man that's the way to go. You have a massive grain size range associated with glacial deposits from glacial flour all the way up to huge boulders. Yeah, you've got, you know, rocks the size of a house breaking off under the glacier and getting progressively pulverized while the glacier's sliding over things that's already pulverized into soil. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can also get drop stones and all kinds of fun stuff. All kinds of fun stuff. The other diamectite origin is something that we were actually just talking about before the show and we've had shows on before is turbidites because once you fluidize sediment it gets like a weird almost newtonian um like a newtonian fluid consistency to it and even though the sediment is super tiny and fluidized it can hold up much larger pieces and so if you deposit that turbidite really quickly you're left with, once it solidifies, once it lithifies, you're left with a diamic type. And then you can get also the, what's the classic turbidite sequence called? The Bauma sequence. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Uh, that was the, the name of that was the extra credit question on my last sedimentary petrology exam. Very nice. Mm-hmm. Yep. I had some very interesting spellings and interpretations of that word. but diamectites are my favorite they're really cool but the one that i probably use the most just because of field camp is ortho or para conglomerate right so it's not enough to say it's mostly matrix next we say how much is matrix and we're going to pick a random cutoff and divide it into two categories (laughs) like surely this cutoff was I mean, surely it was like an empirical cutoff, right? They had a whole bunch of data, and this it number jumped out. It has to be, right? I don't. I probably should have done that research before this. Like, there were bimodal distributions, and this is the null. Yes, yes. I mean, that's what sedimentologists love to do. So this absolutely had to be it. Only um, if it's logarithmic. <laughs> <laughs> Man, we might get a lot of hate mail from this one. <laughs> you laugh because it's true. I know. So true. It's okay. This uh, week I said the statement of, well, it'll be linear if you lo- plot it on a log-log plot. So. Oh, yes. That's awesome. We didn't even talk about the math lecture that I went to earlier this week that had a lot of those jokes in there, too. <laughs> Um, yeah, so what's that number? 15%. 15%. Super random. And if it's over 15% of, or sorry, if it's less than 15% matrix, mm-hmm. then we call it orthoconglomerate. Mm-hmm. And if it's more than 15% matrix, we call it paraconglomerate. And if it's 15% matrix, we call it magic, apparently, because <laughs> there is no up to or including in the statement. Do you think that... There could ever be a significant digit on the other side of the decimal place. No. <laughs> no, of course not. There's not barely a... one on the left side. Exactly. <laughs> not in sedimentology. Um, so then your class supported conglomerates are the ortho conglomerates and your 
15% or more. This is a paraconglomerate. But it's like if you have like a 17% paraconglomerate, man, that's real hard. It looks still looks a lot like an orthoconglomerate. I feel like somewhere the sentence like this is an orthodiamectitic <laughs> rock has had to have been said somewhere. Absolutely. Just because somebody couldn't quite make up their mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like classifying every thin section as subrounded to subangular. And <laughs> as the, we'll see in the next classification, when we start talking about composition, that is what we do is add ick onto the end of things. <laughs> it makes it. So to me, this is the pinky rays is those yes. icks, right? <laughs> so paracondymectites. Most paraconglomerates are diamectites, in fact. Um, wherever that number becomes, I don't know, where visually you can determine. <laughs> but, but anyway, that's what we talk about. And we talk about this at field camp because we did a show on the fountain formation, if you'll recall, one of my favorite formations. And parts of the fountain are orthoconglomerate and parts of it are paraconglomerate. So this is the same rock formation being deposited over a certain length of time. It's not continuous deposition, but nearly in some places. And so one unit can be both of these, just depending on where you are in the system, energetically speaking and close to the source speaking. Right. Yeah. But, yeah, here's the next fun one. (laughs) So we start looking at what makes up the grains and the simplest question we can ask is it all one thing or is it multiple different things that make up these grains Uh so if it's one we call it oligomictic (laughs) and if it's multiple we say it's polymict or we call it heteromictic so i've never heard anyone use the word petromictic before. I don't think I have either. I've heard polymictic a lot. Yes. And then I actually haven't heard oligomictic. Uh, I always use the word monomictic. Right. And I, you can't say it that often. Nope. With conglomerates. <laughs> nope. That's, that's true. And so I've actually used these terms not with conglomerates, but with brushes. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So a a cousin subfamily of conglomerate. Uh. Yes. Mm-hmm. So my brushes were related to the impact craters that I worked on during my masters. So they were both polymict brushes and monomict or oligomict, which I totally would have used because it sounds way snottier. <laughs> um, brushes and so. The difference between these, at least in my situation, was that polymicked brushes were made up of stuff that, like, these meteor impacts hit in water. And so as everything's sloshing around, stuff gets broken up. And it's a bunch of different um, formations that make up the brusha that sort of settles out on top. That would have been our polymicked brusha. And then our monomic brusha, portions of, so this was limestone, most of it was limestone, portions of that limestone, it would just look like shattered beds. So we called them like dilation brushes. 
And so those were monomic brushes because all the pieces of brusha were all of the same unit and they didn't travel very far at all. Right. So similar to a fault brusha in terms yeah, of composition. Yeah, which is just pulverizing yeah. the material by shockwaves. That's right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there you go. Um, <laughs> so you first have to classify your conglomerate by where your clasps are. Are they touching or not? And then by what they're made of. So you could have a petromictic, <laughs> right? You could paraconglomerate with closed or open framework. <laughs> Rolls right off the tongue. Sure does. <laughs> Super easy. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. But what if, what if I want to also include in the name where it came from? <laughs> Can, is there a way to do that? Uh, there is a way. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, I feel like this is sort of like monomictic or polymictic a little bit. So you can go even further and you can talk about whether the pieces within your conglomerate came directly from the area around the rock or if they came from far away. I guess you could make... You could argue that this is different than polymict or monomict, but a lot of what we see are in, especially high energy environments, you'll get these things called rip-up clasts, and right. you could get round rip-up clasts, so something that's happening within your basin, say, a big storm, something like that, you rip up all these clasts, you rework them a little bit, and then you deposit them right there. They don't get carried they're not alochthonous <laughs> they're autochthonous oh boy <laughs> or your stuff came from somewhere else so from far away somewhere else and that would be something maybe called extra basinal so it came from those pieces those specific class came from outside the system and then they just got deposited in your basin of interest so now you have intra and extra basinal. I have never in my life heard nope. these terms used. Nope, I haven't either. <laughs> I've heard the word rip up class an outrageous amount of times, but you better yes. believe I'm going to call them intra basinal rip up class now. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so obviously, we found these classification schemes online and are ha, ripping them to shreds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and this, uh, one, yes. this one we're talking about basically calls Brescia a conglomerate that just happens to be angular. It, that, yes. Mm -hmm, indicates rapid deposition and burial. And then because, of course, every sedimentary rock has a, another thing that looks just like it that is not <laughs> formed by a sedimentary process, <laughs> there are some of those, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there certainly are. Um, <laughs> um, are you talking about these other <laughs> different types of brushes? Yeah. So <laughs> we've talked about some of them. Um, right. You know, meteorite impacts can mm -hmm. cause ejecta breccia. Oh, um, <laughs> I hate this one. I've got to talk about this one. Oh, no. I love this one. I'm sorry. Cataclastic <laughs> brushes. <laughs> sorry. 
<laughs> I was thinking about a different Brescia. Uh, cataclastic Brescia, because I love to say it. Okay. Cataclasis, like, I just love it. It's just like grinding stuff up, right? So cataclastic flows would be these mass wasting events sometimes that happen well they all happen very suddenly but sometimes they can reach outrageously high um outrageously high velocities like on the orders of hundreds of kilometer a second yeah right but mass wasting is the pinky raising say way of saying landslides rock falls pyroclastic uh, oh i think cataclysm is the pinky raising way of saying (laughs) mass wasting (laughs) fair okay so i think about like the heart mind if you've been to uh the tetons there's a pretty famous detachment it's called the heart mind detachment zone and it's a cataclysite and it's just this brescia that was basically a gravity flow and it flowed so quickly and it got so much frictional heating that it actually reset the magnetization on it it's kind of awesome that's great <laughs> that's uh-huh. yeah exactly that's some catastrophic sedimentation for you right there <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah and then right. the super boring one unless you're on top of it collapse brushes which would be intrabasinal and most likely monomictic <laughs> Probably, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, unless it's go. that sinkhole under the Corvette Museum, <laughs> and there's Corvette class. Corvette class. <laughs> oh man. Uh, so and true. you can have the, of course. There's also the chemistry one, uh, solution breaches. Oh yeah, fine. <laughs> and I mean, and we actually we saw a lot of these on our field trip too, because you get those all due to movement of groundwater. You'll see these in caves as well, too. Right. Yeah. So that's the processes that are fun. And the other processes of making conglomerates are fun, too. Mostly because conglomerate clasts are pretty big, two to four millimeters at least. And so you can say something about them without having to make a thin section. (laughs) Well, and it's like having a rock in a rock to analyze you get yeah more history you can tell more of the story of the area mm-hmm. yeah absolutely so in some parts of the fountain a lot of the class are simply quartz and then in other parts of the fountain you'll have like arcosic and quartz class and so you know that something's changed in the hydrology of which direction you're getting the input from these catastrophic alluvial fans so that's that's really cool to me like that's neat and that's something you can tell just walking up to it not like i'm gonna get this back to the lab and see how many feldspars are left in this siltstone you know right i said that very snottily (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna get this back to the lab (laughs) look it's hard to determine siltstone composition in the field it's not fun (laughs) it's not fun not in the field either Ooh, now we're going to fight. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that you come down with some kind of horrible intestinal disease for saying that about my rocks. <laughs> oh, you want to you talk about a different kind of conglomerate deposition? Oh, gross. Because <laughs> we're going to do just that on everybody's favorite segment of the show. 
Fun Paper Friday. <laughs> oh, boo. <laughs> you said we're going to do it. <laughs> do, do. <laughs> yep. So um, I found this one all on my own. Sorry, Daryl. <laughs> You're not fired. Don't worry. But yes. Uh, John may be fired from doing fun papers after this one. <laughs> well, I have to do the bleep on this one. So. You sure do. <laughs> we can't lose that clean tag. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's an in-depth analysis of a piece of distribution of schistosoma mansoni and hookworm eggs in human stool by krauth et al man (laughs) i can't so yeah this is in plus neglected tropical diseases (laughs) dude these journals it is it it is poop sedimentology oh it is Basically, they took cores of people's poops to see where they could find the hookworm eggs and see if you could just take a core of the poop or if you needed to mix the poop all together to get an accurate determination of whether someone was infected with these uh, parasites or not. Right. Do the eggs concentrate in the beginning of the poop or the end of the poop or the middle of the poop? <laughs> Do they concentrate on the outer perimeter, or do are they forced to the core, or are they evenly distributed? Does the way you store the poop make a difference mm-hmm. for how you can find these? If you blend the poop to homogenize it, yeah. does it make it easier or worse? What does it skew the result? These are all pressing questions in neglected <laughs> tropical diseases, apparently. Pressing questions. <laughs> um, I very much disliked the <laughs> sausage shaped samples versus lumpy sample <laughs> paragraphs. <laughs> so I don't think it's the first time we've said these words on the show, but I'm not sure. Have have we talked about the, the poop scale? I mean, surely we have, right? It seems I, like we should have. <laughs> I think so. Uh, hmm. So, yes, there's this Bristol stool chart, the BSC scale. So mm-hmm. sausage-shaped is a type 3 BSC. Sausage-shaped but lumpy is type 2. Sausage-shaped but soft is type 4. Oh, my gosh. Lumpy and <laughs> mushy are types 5 through 7. <laughs> I'm so glad I work with rocks. <laughs> but it's I, the same thing. It's I the like same my physics. I like my poop fossilized. <laughs> it's all I'm saying. <laughs> um, we have a coprolite here at home that looks like a perfect piece of poop, and it is my daughter's favorite thing to walk around with it and then drop it like she pooped on the floor. <laughs> 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 and she'll be like, "You better clean that up." <laughs> <laughs> and I think about all these fun papers we've done every time she doesn't. <laughs> yep. So we're we're back to talking about stool charts and yep. poop shapes. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, they cord these poops from inside yeah, so to outside and along the length, essentially. <laughs> yep. They they cut them into four sections lengthwise, and they would take samples from the center and from the top two to three millimeters. 
And then they would uh, homogenize them and take samples there as well. So we're looking at something like nine samples per poop. I love that you just say they so flippantly. Let's not, let's not disregard who did this dirty work. You mean the undergraduate? <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so we're laughing about this. But, I mean, the point of this, despite having a swear word in the title, it, I mean, this is for real stuff. So if you're in the field, and, and this is all taking place in in the Ivory Coast. So in Africa, this is a big deal. Lots of people have these parasites and in other jungle-ish or tropical tropical climate areas. Um, and so if you're going to figure it out, they don't have extremely sophisticated lab machinery that they take out with into the field with them. So what's the best way to quickly find out what someone, you know, what worms that they have, essentially? And so not only is it do you need to homogenize the poop is that the best way to do it or is there a spot within a poop that you can sample right away but just like you said it's also how to store it because it turns out these eggs start to die and then you don't pick them up if you're not storing it correctly which is storing it moistly yeah either cover it with a wet paper towel or store it on ice Mm-hmm. yeah and so. then you do this kato cats technique which takes a sample and spreads it over a slide and there's I'm, lots I'm of cutting and spreading of poop in this paper. <laughs> so much. And the whole time I thought about that poop knife paper. <laughs> <laughs> they had lots of poop knives and poop spatulas in this paper. Exactly. Oh, that frozen poop knife was one of my favorite papers. <laughs> FTDs, fecal transfer devices. <clears throat> yeah. So it was very interesting. And it turns out like... You don't, the worms are pretty evenly distributed, but you want to keep them moist so you can see their eggs. That's Which the is kind of what I outcome. would have thought because the mm-hmm. peristaltic movement as this is forming into a cohesive clast <laughs> seems like it would keep things pretty mixed up. This mm-hmm. seems like it would be a matrix supported parasite <laughs> conglomerate. Diamictite. <laughs> diamictite. Monomict diamictite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Pooptomictic. <laughs> <laughs> that was real hard to say. <laughs> so that part that part a, didn't a, surprise a, a me. A turbidite. Oh. <laughs> All right. Mic drop. We're done. <laughs> also, I can never teach again. <laughs> oh so yes the the best part of this paper if if this has not devolved far enough already it has to be figure one (laughs) the sampling technique (laughs) where because they wanted to note is the distribution even from front to back of the poop they had to know what the front was so the 222 participants had to poop onto a piece of aluminum foil and then mark the front and then wrap it up and put it in one of those foil-to-go things and crimp the lid on it. (laughs) And then they had to label it with where the front was, and they had to write the exact time that it happened. And then people were like, oh, you guys got lunch for us, and then opened them up and were very disappointed. (laughs) 
Can you imagine that lab with 222 to-go containers full of poop and refrigerators? Again, super glad I'm a geologist. Yep. (sighs) Well, this was a great find. (laughs) I don't want to know what you Googled to get it. I'm just going to... I hope it was poop to go container. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've I've got a few good ones now, so. Oh, excellent. Uh that were associated with this. I can't wait. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Reference sections are a great thing. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so, if uh, we don't actually don't want to see your Kato Cats results. Nope. <laughs> uh <laughs> But if you have any information on radial or longitudinal distributions of something, uh, you're welcome to send that in and maybe we'll talk about it. Shannon, how can they get a hold of us? I don't know. But it's John at, no, show <laughs> at don'tpanicgeocast.com. We're on Twitter at don'tpanicgeo. John is at geo underscore Lehman. I'm at Shannon Doolin. Uh, this seems like a great Slack chat room discussion. We're on the Software Underground, the Don't Panic channel. And as always, if you're still with us, Patreon supporters, <laughs> thanks. You can support us too and this important turt turdpedite deposits at patreon.com slash don't panic geo and until next week remember don't panic (laughs) it's not an exact science any opinions findings conclusions or recommendations expressed are solely ours and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers or funding agencies So, Shannon. Turd for night. That one just spur of the moment. I, I love it. Yeah, I can tell it just came to you. It's just. I'm not even going to be able to draw it anymore. Oh my gosh. Uh, yes. Yep. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm good now. <laughs>